Scripture reading this morning will be from 1 John. That's 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. You'll give me a minute. I've got to get back over there. Oh, I lost my spot. <laughs> there we are. 1 John chapter 3, 16 through 24. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence, whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. that simple for us to love one another and to help one another along the way. I want to make mention in one announcement, if you will, that uh, we help support Scott Dykowski at the Brown Trail School of Preaching, and he has written a letter to the congregation that's out in the foyer on the, uh, where we pick up the bulletins. You might want to take time just to read that letter that he wrote to us, to the congregation, talking about his first week at Brown Trail and uh, the task that he knows lies before him and the task that he's undertaking, but with that desire of wanting to be that servant of God. Again, we appreciate those men like Scott and others who are preparing themselves to be servants of God in the preaching of his word. And we like to encourage them in whatever way that we can. I want to back up a few verses before we begin to look at 1 John 3, verse 16 and following. Go back to verse 10, if you will. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. 
and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is why it is necessary that we learn to love the brethren, to love one another. Again, as Paul would remind us in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, as it gives that definition of love, that act of goodwill towards another. What Jesus, or what Paul is discussing there, and it's what John is discussing here in 1 John. There's an active part of us loving one another, being concerned about one another. Because if we do not have that, we're not of God. If we hate or we love less our brother, John says we're a murderer. And the love of God is not in us. There's no re- there is no room or reason, there's no room for us not caring about those whom God has created in his own image and not caring for those to whom Christ freely shed his blood in order to forgive them of their sins and to give them that hope of eternal life with him one day. That active goodwill towards another. By Jesus giving his life for our sins, he certainly demonstrated goodwill in an active way. He showed what it was like to show this type of love. He showed it to his enemies. He showed it to those who would accept and then deny and fall away. He showed it to those who would love, accept, believe, strive to serve him, have some ups and downs, but would continue to be faithful to him. He gave us the example to follow in his steps. He did not diminish his love towards us because we diminished our love towards him. He still stands ready, still stands willing, desirous to receive, desirous to give eternal life to those who would believe, to those who would be willing to repent of the sins that do separate them from God, to confess that Jesus is that Savior the only Savior of mankind, to obey him in baptism, in the likeness of his death, be buried in the likeness of his death, be raised in the likeness of his resurrection, to have sins washed away and remembered no more by God. And then that we would strive to live for him 
And therein lies the challenge for us. God's love is always there. Christ's love is always there. The Spirit's love is always there. It's just sometimes it's hard for us to have that love for one another. Again, to be easy, but simply as easy as that. But we tend at times to aggravate one another. We tend at times to disappoint one another. We tend at times to have feelings, harsh feelings that we ought not to have towards one another. And through all of that, God is still there. And through all of that, Christ is still there. And the desire is that we can learn, that we can grow, and that we can begin to strive to be more Christ-like in the life that we live. We find in First Thessalonians 4 and verse 9, when we meditate on the example that Christ set, we are taught by God to love one another. God teaches us to love one another. There's no way that you could look at humanity at any point in world history, but no way that you could look at humanity, particularly in that first century. To know of the animosity that the Jews had towards the Romans and that the Romans had towards the Jews. That the Jews had towards the Samaritans and that the Samaritans had towards the Jews. And to believe that within a short period of time that they would be those who would allow that animosity to be removed. To be taken away. And that they would have a love, a compassion, a desire to help one another. We're reminded of that in the early books or early chapters of Acts. That they had all things in common. If a man had a need, there was a brother who was willing to help him. John brings out the same thing in 1 John throughout that book. The seeing a brother in need and then helping that brother in need. Not just a physical need, maybe a spiritual need. Maybe a need of helping to understand Scripture. But because of who we are, in light of the blood of Christ, indeed we reach out to them. It is through Christ's example that we catch what's involved in love. It's not just that act of goodwill towards one another, but it also is the laying down of our lives for another. And it's also living by serving. The best example we have of that would be be the Gospel of John in chapter 13. Here's an example of love that serves The creator of the universe, girding himself with a towel, without a word, began to wash the feet of his disciples. This after he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. After describing what he was going to go through and why that he would then perform a task that the disciples 
had failed to provide for. Earlier, Jesus had sent two of his disciples into Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover meal. They made preparation, except for that lowly task, the lowly task given to the lowliest of servants of washing the feet of the guest as they came into the house. That was not provided for, because as you read about those disciples, even after the Lord's Supper, arguing, arguing with among themselves, debating among themselves, which one of them was going to be the greatest. And they forgot the greatest sacrifice that could be given. The greatest gift that could be given was that of service. That's what Jesus did as he washed their feet along the way. He gives the example of our failing to show brotherly love. If you have, and you see your brother in need, and you do not help him, how can the love of God abide in you? How can you be God-like and see one in need and not make provisions? God did not do that. God saw the need and made provisions. He made provisions at a tremendous cost that we talk about, that we sing about, we preach about, but so hard to fully wrap our minds around. Loving us, as Paul would describe in Romans 5, verses 8 through 10, loving us while we were yet enemies, Christ gave his life for us. And then that reminder, if God so much loves you that while you were an enemy of his, he gave his son to die in your stead that you might be called the child of God. If he loved you that much, Paul described, how much more do you believe that he loves you now that you are his child? How much closer are you to God now as his child than you were when you were his enemy? And how much more does the love of God abide in you as a result of that? It changes the life. It's intended to change the life. That was the whole purpose of his coming. Paul would remind us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, all things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We still live in the same physical body. We still have to deal with our physical mind. We strive to the best of our ability with the help of God of making a change in the mind so that indeed we can be more Christ-like in our thinking. He's given us his word to guide us throughout this life to be more Christ-like. He gives us his word to remind us that when we fail, when we fall short, hope is not lost. That's the beauty of what we call the parable of the prodigal son. Could waste a life, 
But there's always that hope that when one would come to his senses, that he would understand what it would be, what it is like, or what it should be like, what it could be like to be in the house of the Father who loves. So the prodigal son went home, willing to be a servant. But the Father would not have it. That's the illustration given for us to remind us that when we stumble and when we fall, when we begin to stray and need to come home, that God is always there. He was looking down that road long before the sun came down that road. But as in the account, the choice always has to be ours. The father did not go looking for the son, did not send somebody to find the son, but because of the love of the father and the household in which the son dwelt, that was sufficient for the son to know where he belonged and where he needed to be, and then to come to his right mind and to come home. That's what God is wanting to do with us. At any point in our life, wherever it may be, if it's not yet a child of God to do that, or as a child of God to know that if we've strayed, God's there. When we decide to come home and we repent of our sins and confess our sins, He is just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is that admonition to true love. Preface again by John in his term of endearment, my little children. That's how John saw his disciples. That's how God sees us, is it not? We're little children. Regardless of how much we think we've gone spiritually, regardless of of how much we think we've matured, and make wise choices. We're still little children in the eyes of God. We never fully comprehend his, his love. Sometimes as children, we, as we grow older and have children, we catch a glimpse of the love that parents had. But we still do not fully understand the depths of that love. And there's no way for us to understand why God so loves us. We know that he's created us in his own image, in his own likeness. We know that he's provided a world for us in his beauty. He's made provisions for us for the giving of the seasons, for us to be able to have food to eat given us families to love us. But why the depths of his love when so many times we do not love him? So many times when we know better and yet give in to the temptation that Satan places before us. 
The temptation is on our part. He places them there, but we we are the ones that give in to it because of our desires. And how many times again have we, should we, and will we continue to confess those wrongs and to allow him to wash away those sins and remember them no more? But to remind ourselves in each sin that we confess, regardless to us and how minor that may be, that each sin that we confess did require the death of Jesus on the cross. We categorized white sins, little white lies, white sins, big black lies, whatever else we want to do. We categorize sins because of their impact upon us or the impact upon others. But sin is sin, a transgression of the law of God, and we violate it. And indeed, we need to repent of those. This showing, this demonstrating of brotherly love distinguishes, distinguishes us as the children of God as opposed to the children of the devil. If we love, we're of God. But it has to be demonstrated. We can say, I love you. But if actions do not follow, the words are hollow and have no depth to them. We're to have a depth to our words. It's why he gave us his word to guide us. It's why he gave us his word to, in essence, to help us to remind us. That's why there are passages of Scripture that hold, that hold special meanings to each one of us. The different passages. The ones that we go to. Ones that we go to in time of sorrow and loss of loved ones. Ones that we go to in time of trouble, distress in time of being overwhelmed by the world in which we live. It's what he gave us his word for. To place those passages in our heart, up here in our mind, that we're able to recall them in that time of need. To know that Whatever it is I face, to draw those promises that I have from God. First Corinthians ten verse thirteen. God will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. God will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. Temptation is going to be there. That's a fact of life. Hebrew writer, the Hebrew writer reminds us in Hebrews 4 and verse 15 and 16 that Jesus was tempted in all areas as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted, yet without sin. He did not give in. 
The way he did that would be found in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 10. With every temptation that Jesus faced, he counted with, but it is written. It's the same way that we do it. With every temptation we face, we need it, it is written. And we need to know that there is a way of escape. We can flee from it until we're stronger to, to deal with it and overcome it. And we need to be reminded of that. He's there to help us. He's there to encourage us to grow in this brotherly love towards one another. It gives us assurance before God as we do that we are his people. There's a oneness about us that sometimes we tend to forget. We're one body. We belong to Christ. The members of that one body help one another, encourage one another, supplement one another, help one another when there's a time of need. And there's something marvelous about the physical body that can also be applied in the spiritual body. God uses every member, and God makes provisions for every member. And things can be worked out so that the body can do the job that it was intended to do. Reading recently about a young boy from birth, basically, that had a deformity. And the parents made a decision to have his legs amputated. Not at the knee, but at the hip. And how that boy began to desire to want to play, his, his goal was to play football. And he said, why don't you pick something else? He wanted to play football. And as it grew, prosthesis were made for him until he could watch his favorite quarterback imitate his moves, and be allowed to play football with the other children. He had springs for legs. And they asked him about it. The boys asked him about hitting him. He said, well, it's just like hitting my shin bone. It's not going to hurt you. Well, simply saying, what we can do with the physical can you imagine what God can do with the spiritual body? Can you imagine the adjustments that he can make? We're not indispensable. We are necessary. We are needed in the body. But it depends on us. Will I give in and allow God to mold me and to shape me into a vessel of his choosing? And will I demonstrate that in the life that I live? Seeing a brother in need and be willing to help. Not out of obligation. God was not obligated to save us, but out of love to make that decision. To do indeed what God would have us to do. Doing his will abides or assures us that we are abiding in Christ. We're his and we belong to him. The question is, are we? Are we abiding in the love of God? As we abide in the love of God, is that being demonstrated? 
Are we willing to go far beyond this to helping the one that has hurt to the one who has crushed and the one who has shunned us as a child of God? How far are we willing to go so that the body of Christ can be the body of Christ with the members who love one another, who support one another, who encourage one another, who serve one another, all for the glory of God. By this we will know that we are his disciples, by the love that we have for one another. So as you look at your life this morning, is that a reflection in your life? By this you are known that you are a child of the living God by the love that you have for one another. Are we doing the things that indeed would be pleasing and acceptable in his sight? There's a fountain free. It is free to all. It flows for you and it flows for me. There has to be that reminder in that that fountain that flows free costs God his only son upon that cross. That fountain is open to all. If you have a need, to be it to become a child of God this morning, be it a need to renew that life in Christ Jesus again, if you have a need to that invitation to come to that fountain and freely drink, We bid you to come as together we stand and sing.